This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. They are pretenders among us, people who have mastered their ability to hide their pain, failures, struggles, and inadequacies in life. People who have the ability to mask their imperfections through material wealth and careers. In the last 20 years, social media has exploded and incubated these pretenders to grow in number and attitude. But one day in 2016, one of these pretenders broke away. This is his story. Welcome to the show. My name is Jay and this is the Pretender Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the latest episode of the Pretender Podcast on the AfriPods network right here in Africa. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Teacher, Spotify, Google Pods or your favorite podcast catcher of your choice. In today's show, I have a special guest and our conversation takes us through her life as an executive and balancing that with her role as wife and mother. We also talk about how coming to peace with the death of her mom through suicide helped her face challenges in dealing with her own mental health openly. This is the first of two parts of a great conversation you don't want to miss. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Amazing to have you here. Um, I've been wanting to get you on the show because I think you have something special. But before I get right into it, let me do uh, a good intro for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so Mandy has over 15 years of experience in the nonprofit sector, a good friend of mine. And actually the last five years of, of your experience have been um, at an executive level, level, top of the ladder for a couple of international organizations. Uh, you're married to a handsome young man. Yeah. <laughs> handsome young man. Yeah, she has four children. Um, she's an entrepreneur, but all she really wants is to be Abba's girl. So I've known Mandy for eight years now, I think. Uh, met her in 2014 and uh, at a place we worked together and we shared lots of happy and sad times together. Yeah? Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> um, probably the weirdest friend she has, particularly because I think we are agements, but she wants to be older than me. <laughs> you know, I think that argument in my house, it ends with... Uh producing your medical card. So let the medical cards end the discussion. Yeah. I was going to say your ID says your order, but you know government documents. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. taking the time to share your story with me. Thank you and for having me. Yeah. excited to be did here. Did I nail that intro? Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I missed out? Uh, no, not quite. No, no, no. Don't think you Has missed it? out anything. Yeah. Well, so... Your second-born son, Rory, he's, be- he's got beef with me. Super, <laughs> super, super beef. So I'm hoping that this uh, podcast kind of uh, is an olive branch to him and settles our beef. Because he wanted us to do a podcast together. Yes. We're going to do one, obviously, yes. and we're going to talk about that more later in the show. But uh, do you think this will, will go straight? Yeah, I think it will go a stretch, although when I was coming here, he had a few questions for you, which I think you need to address. Okay. Whenever. So, um, 
apart from asking me how long is it going to take, what are you going to be talking about, does he make money from it, how much money does he make, so if he starts making money, how are they going to pay him, so you need to be ready to answer those questions that's, for that's, Rory. That's a, a whole other pod, I'll have a Rory podcast, so I yeah, can answer all those yeah, questions, yeah. but it would be much better if he hosted me on his podcast, then he can ask me he all those ask questions. You. Okay, I'll let you know. I think he'll be up for it. Rory is up for anything. Yeah, so are we still going to do our podcast? Yes. Okay. Sure. Right. So, to start this off, um, you know, uh, obviously we give all the uh, kudos to the women on this show and uh, being a married man, I support my life. I give all the kudos to my wife. Yes, please. <laughs> but I also believe in the power of a woman being um, the homemaker. And we go as you go in the in the home and in in a marriage setting. Um, if in your own special way of leading uh, in that amazing role is flourishing, then everybody gets to kind of flourish. Um, the only time a man will call a house a home is when they are they have a woman in the house, a wife, mm-hmm. not just any woman. Yes. So I really want to start off there because you're juggling a career, uh, family, marriage, business, and all these different interests. Um, and these days, it's it's become sort of a thorny issue because uh, there's this whole um, equality agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, gender equality uh, push and I believe in equality of roles, equality mm-hmm. of men and women as opposed to gender equality yes. but we don't want to get into that. So how have you been able to rise to the challenge of this? Okay, so for me I think first of all when I, I, I show up in the different roles I do what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it for that particular role Yeah, and most of the time, sometimes the, the, the dichotomies and the stretches happen between the different roles, but most of the times it's just, this is time for this, this is what I'm doing now, this is time for this, this is what I'm doing now, and I do it there and then. But I think one of the biggest things for me um, that has helped me to balance all the different roles is having help, and help in, in different uh, forms uh, help at the office with good workmates who help to carry the workload help at uh, home with nannies and all who help me to look after the babies and help with my husband who understands what I can and cannot do and yeah. is comfortable in what I am comfortable in yeah. so if that particular week, month or year I don't feel like cooking. Mm. I don't cook. <laughs> and nobody takes offense. Right. Because they understand that, look, um, there are all these things that are happening in this person's life. And if, if this is an area where she needs a break or this is an area where we can help, you know, yeah. let's help. So I have f- three people in my house right now, like four people in my house. Who can take over the cooking if I'm not able to do it? Yeah. No qualms about it. And they're happy to do it. Uh, I'm happy for them to do it. So that's how I, I, I balance. 
even small things like oh it's not really small things but you know with uh, my little toddler right now yeah. um, I come from work it's been a long day he wants to have time with mommy that's okay and I need to make a decision do I sit down and look after the baby and, and, and let him get his mommy time or do I worry about how tidy the house is and what is it that's that's what is it that's going to matter right. to that child three, four, five years from now? So let the house be untidy for the next thirty minutes. I'm spending time with the kids. We're watching TV. We're laughing. We're catching up on the day. So it's just you know making those decisions and not feeling guilty about what is left undone. That has to be the balance. That's amazing, and. Um, Obviously, as an executive, a top executive in a big organization like that, um, how have you been able to rise to the top through your career, but still retain the respect of your husband? Because uh, a lot of contemporary culture has translated equal opportunities to equal roles. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can be confusing uh, because some men... A struggle to handle that because there's a confusion in the whole messaging of that mm -hmm. whole thing. It's just equal opportunities that we're looking at. But how have you been able to retain the respect of your husband and then, uh, uh, but still be able to maintain those different roles? So I think for me, how I've been able to do it is not to put my identity in the job or in the world. Yeah. I am not that big executive. Even when I'm at the office, I'm actually not the big executive. That's not my identity. I am Mandy. So when man, who is Mandy? How do I want to be remembered as? I want to be remembered as somebody who is kind, thoughtful, puts others first and all that. So regardless of what role I'm playing, what I want to be remembered as is what comes forth, is what is important. So that's one way that I've been able to uh, maintain that respect from my husband and for my husband because even like when we were getting married, he wasn't marrying me because I was an executive or whatever it was. There was something that he saw in me and that is the thing that, you know, over time grows or changes or whatever it is, but it's not tied to the job. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Secondly, I think for me, it's I, I really subscribe to what you're saying about equality of opportunities. Opportunities, yes. <laughs> as opposed to, I know that there are certain things that uh, only I, as a woman, can do, and there are certain things that only he, as a man, can do. And so, if I appreciate and recognize that, then you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter how, how far I rise, I will still not be able to father my children, if you, if you know what I mean. Like, that male figure to them is not something, no matter how, even if I became the president of this dear republic, those things I cannot be able to do. So, for the fact that there are those things that only he can bring into my life, just for that, for that alone, he has all my respect. 
And I think even for him, it's vice versa. But the fact that it's only me that can bring those things in his life, he still maintains that respect for me. And so I think that's how we've kind of, you know. And also, I think we're just pretty chill people. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Yeah, we're very chill. <laughs> we're not the kind of people who are moved by status or flashiness or being out there. We. We try to live for purpose and things that are, are meaningful. And at the end of the day, I guess the legacy that we want to leave for our children is what kind of drives, how do I want to show up? Do I want my, is, is what, how I'm behaving something I'll be proud to watch my daughter do, for example? Or is how I, my husband is treating me how I want my sons to treat their children. So all those kind of come into play in terms of how we treat each other, the kind of respect we give each other, and the, the types of rules and boundaries, I guess, that we put around the relationship. Yeah. So that when all is said and done, that's what remains. Because at the end of the day, like the children will not say, oh, Mommy was a great so-and-so at her company, or Daddy was a great so-and-so at his company. It's the legacy that we do for them. So that's another area that really pushes both of us to treat each other with respect. So would you say it's something that you sort of um, tabled out beginning? Obviously, nobody knows how the future pans out, but is this something that uh, you have from the onset of your relationship in that home in terms of um, when you started out to kind of have that sort of foundation um, and has that helped or there have been moments during that process when it becomes a bit uncomfortable and then you kind of earn it out based on the fact that you have kind of set that foundation yes i think when when, when we start out um Especially that we are in two different industries. Right. Or like two different worlds altogether. Firstly, it kind of started like, oh, you know, the kind of conversations I'll take home from the office. You guys talk about those kinds of things. <laughs> and, you know, you just kind of, okay, that understands, okay, my partner works in a completely different world. For him, the world is also very different, like, you know, maybe. People are calling and they are calling him by his sir, what are you? Hmm. I mean, I can't do those sad things now. <laughs> you know. So it, appreciating the differences from there of where we're coming from, uh, as far as work is concerned, and then growing with each other in the rows. Okay, so this is what's happening. Oh, I've seen this opportunity, what do you think? Oh, this will be good for you. This this job has your name written on it. So even as I have grown in my responsibilities, and he, even he has grown in, in his responsibilities, it's where you walk with each other in the journey. You know, I'm going for this role. I think it will be good for me. What do you think? Or, you know, this, this, this project is coming to an end now. Do I... Do you think now it's, t- it's time for me to be a stay-at-home mom? You know, because deep down my heart, and we were having this discussion, like, I was just doing a... Uh, know your partner check, man. You know. Know your partner check. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the check was, what's my ideal life? I was asking him, what's my ideal life? And he says to me, your ideal life is 
working from home and having a business that you actually work on from home, not having to go outside and do all these things. So it's also that understanding to say, okay, we have our ideals, but for the sake of the goals that we have or the progress that we want to make, we compromise. So, you know, you reach a point of sometimes where, like, when you talk about the discomfort, you're thinking, okay, this is now time for me to take a break. And then you look at the bigger picture, like, maybe not. So there's that, that, um, that discomfort around, you know, um, why can't I live the life that I want to live at this point? And then you have to compromise and blah, blah, blah. So there are those kinds of discomforts. Um, of course, the conversations about what comes from the office can also be <laughs> uncomfortable. And that's kind of, I think, something that we've grown to kind of just appreciate and balance. And I, I think for me, even our friendship is something that probably wouldn't happen in their world, right. in his world, because they just, it's just weird. Okay? It's, not weird. <laughs> it's normal for them, but... It, it is weird. It's weird, <laughs> So, you know, even those kinds of conversations, like, how exactly are you friends with a dude, you know? Yeah. So, you know, those kinds of things, well, no, it just happens, it work and... You didn't say, like, he's cool, no? He is cool. Okay, okay. He's, just checking. He's, he's just, not, this is like a friendship check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you start talking about, you know, where sometimes things get uncomfortable and you have to... Um, balance, compromise, and, and just help your friend come along with you on the journey. So, okay, this is how things are in this world. It's not strange. And anyway, I've always had all sorts of friends. So, yeah. yeah, so it's those kinds of things. Um, and I guess with a certain level, some other kind of uncomfortable conversations that come, and, and I think it's not just unique to us, to, it's unique to I mean, it's common to, uh, if not all two-income households, is how do we get a balance around how we spend the money that comes? Is it your money? Is it my money? Is it our money? <laughs> is your money my money? Is my money? How do we... So all those things that we grew into and reached a point where we, okay, this is how transparent we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to take care of. And yeah, we move on with life like that. So, yeah. So, being a homemaker as a key role that a wife or a woman has—that's a role, right? It's a role. It is not a definition of the kind of opportunities you get. And I feel like, at least from where I'm sitting, you're a perfect example because, as we are talking here, we've had very little reference to your amazing career you know what i mean uh, an amazing job that you do at, as an executive at that level but we are focusing more on your role yeah. because it has nothing to to do with minimizing the value of a woman just no, because no. she's a homemaker no. because a homemaking role is is heavily a key job that a key value that you bring to the table yeah. as a as a wife, you know. I mean, if if I and and I think for me, homemaking is is not something that is exclusive to the woman. But if my husband and I don't make a home, mm. we're not doing any favors to society. 
Amen so, to that. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's kind of taking it from there. And like, like I mentioned a little earlier, is how do I want to be remembered? And I think to everybody else, even to my organization, I'll, if I drop dead today, they'll forget me in about a month's time when they hire a new executive. Is it only a month? I know, right? <laughs> but the impact on my home, on my children, will be for a lifetime. Right. And so, because that is where my most value is, that is kind of the most important role that I have uh, on this DIF. And if I fail at that, it doesn't matter to what level I rise, I would have failed in my biggest responsibility. Yeah. Because the home definitely needs two people. Yes. And uh, both have that role. And it they can still pursue the equal opportunities again yes. outside the con, con, constructs of the home, but their roles together make that home yeah. and uh, it's part of the children. And, and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of times the, these get blurred, you know, um, because there's an expectation that, uh, uh, it's all about income. It's all about my life, my life, my life. But then, when you come to a, a home and a marriage setting, uh, that my life becomes both yeah, people's life. Yeah. So the individuality is um, uh, is made uh, to be one, like it's a it's a unit uh, of two people still mm-hmm. being able to be individual, but together yes, about it. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, true. Very, very, very true. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So speaking of marriage, um, one of the books that you gifted to me relating to marriage is uh, by Dr. James Dobson, mm-hmm. Love Must Be Tough. Yes. Do you still gift that book to people? Yes. Because I do. Because <laughs> yes. I definitely yeah, give it to a lot yeah. of people. And uh, you gave it to me when I had a challenge in my marriage as well. And it really helped me because I think from my perspective, I again... During that period in our marriage, I was looking at it from my perspective. Mm-hmm. But then there are concepts in that book that um, obviously addressed other issues, but they also brought me to see myself as not being a victim, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But to see myself, not really as a perpetrator, I won't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> you need to talk to Sarah about that. So, <laughs> Yeah, so I've, I've I've gone on to gift it to a lot of other people. Um, can you tell me why you love that book, and uh, also share with our listeners perhaps um, how the challenges in your own marriage marriage helped shape you uh, deal with such issues more All openly. Right. So what I like <laughs> about that book is uh, our. Um, our African culture, or maybe our Zambian culture, or maybe the culture that I was brought in, let me not generalize. There are certain things that, um, especially when it comes to marriage, I think generally we are taught, especially as women, to accept everything mm-hmm. and just grin and bear it. Uh, not to question, not to Ask or not to expect. Okay? So, why I love that book is it taught me to appreciate the power of consequence. Mm. 
Okay. Because a lot of times, I think uh, we shield to our detriment, we shield each other from consequence. And I, I think like, like, uh, like what you said around not seeing myself as a victim um, and not seeing my partner as a villain or even exchanging roles, not seeing myself as a villain and him as a victim of yeah. my craziness or more precisely my brokenness. I, one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned, especially in, in dealing with uh, challenges that come with a, a marriage relationship is again, you know, I like to read. <laughs> so I was reading this particular book. I've never quite finished it. I don't know if I ever will because these chaps who wrote this book keep on emphasizing that you can't read this book and finish it and say you're yeah, done. You have to read it at least five times. Do you mind giving me the title yes, of that book? Because the, the, the title of the book is called uh, The Process of Transformation. The Process of Transformation. Ministry. Okay. It's, it's one of the few, okay, I digress, but let me digress. Yeah. Uh, Transformation Prayer Ministries is one of the few ministries where you go on their site, the key resources that they use, they have this book, and uh, uh, there's, I don't know, there's the process. And the principles. So there's the principles of TPM and the process of TPM. These are the key resource to this ministry. It's one of the few ministries where I've gone and you can actually, they give it out for free. You can download the whole 300 and something multi-page book. So just to get this right, TPM will be Transformation Prayer Ministry. Yes. Okay. So okay. there's the process of and the principles. Okay. So in the principles of, um, one of the teachings they teach is that they gave an illustration. If you're walking in the bush and something goes through your foot, like a thorn goes through your foot, mm-hmm. how would you want you to react? I don't know, just scream because it's painful. Exactly. I won't care. So, <laughs> so you want your foot to hurt to alert you that there's something right? so you can stop and take it out. And they kind of brought the same concept to when we experience relational pain. If there's something in the relationship that is bringing you pain, it's a signal that you need to stop and remove that thing. Now, most of the time, um, we tend to make that thing about the thought, the other person. Okay. When in fact it's your own vulnerability, your, the own, your own softness of your flesh that allowed that thorn to go through. In other words, it, bringing it out, the book brings it, it's what do I believe? What do I believe about myself, about my life, about where I've come from that makes this particular thing hurtful to me? Okay. So a lot of times, like if we deal with our heart beliefs, as they call them, a lot of pain that we experience from other people, we actually won't experience it. Won't, it won't matter. It will like bounce off to be like water off, whatever it is that water signs off of. Because your belief in who you are and what you bring is settled. So if somebody hurts you or brings a challenge in a relationship, yes, genuinely it could be 
a bad thing that they are doing, but your reaction to that thing a, a lot of times has to do with your, your, your concept of self. And in my own experience, my concept of self that made some of the normal things that people go through in marriage seem so big, so insurmountable, so heartbreaking. And I didn't realize this until going through, you know, uh, one or two challenges is the concept that I didn't need a father in my life. Okay. Yes. So I think for, for most of us, having been orphaned by the time I was 15 and all, I don't know whether it's because I had very good or very bad, I don't know, uh, father figures in my life, throughout my life that I kind of grew up thinking what I needed in my life was more mothers, more motherly. And I went through a phase where all the people who were my mothers actually broke my heart like in a big bad way. I couldn't like rely on them, you know, the way that I wanted to. Not that they were not available, but the way that I wanted them to be available, they couldn't be available to me. And so um, I was kind of fixated on that for a very long time and it made you know everything else seem that extra painful whatever experience i was going through it made it seem extra painful because i felt if i, if I only had a mother this would not happen to me if i only had a mother i would have this happy strong woman and all that only later on did i realize that actually i was not suffering from a mother wound i was suffering from a father wound mm. okay and I needed to feel fathered for me to be able to deal with any challenge that I faced in my marriage. And until I accepted that fathering of God in my life, that's when like, I was able to stand up and say, you know what, I think this issue is it's a problem to me. It's a problem to us. If, if this thing is hurting me, it's hurting both of us. So we have to deal with it. It was not until I was father that I was able to, to be able to be to present myself in a relationship in a way that it was not about my husband, it was not about me, but it was about this what we wanted to create. And this that we want to build and to say, look, um, I am not hundred percent perfect, neither are you hundred percent perfect. But how can we make sure that our imperfections are not um are not overbearing on all of us, are not overbearing on our destinies, are not overbearing on how we want to show ourselves to our children and the kind of legacy that we want to build. So it, whatever challenges, then after that point, like whatever challenges, it, 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 dealing with them as a united front, as opposed to this is you've done this and I don't like it, or I have done this and he doesn't like it, it's this thing is hurting us because we are one. It doesn't matter whether it's me who has done it or it's him who has done it, but it's hurting us. And so how do we make sure that we address it so that it stops hurting us? And that, I only reached that point when I finally, finally, finally realized the love of the Father from God. It's just amazing. You, you, you made it all first to deal with yourself, your yes. own issues. So yes. before you can kind of deal with the issues in your marriage, yes. you focus on yourself. That's just amazing. Yeah. 
So I think for me, uh, you know, I used to kind of, I guess at, at some point it's true. Uh, although I don't entirely agree, sometimes people will say, oh, marriage is not meant for you to be happy, it's meant to prepare you for, for heaven. At some point, it refines your character to that stage where if, if your partner says, this one is going to heaven, <laughs> you are definitely going. But also at the same time, I've, I've reached a point where, you know, that, that joy that is supposed to be there in marriage, I have experienced it. And I know that this is what marriage is supposed to be. Yes, you can have challenges, but at the end of the day, there's this joy, this... And it even begins to make sense to me when, when you know, Christ talks about the church as his bride. Mm-hmm. Because we, we've kind of removed... In, our, in, in the way that we live, I think a lot of us have removed that the joy that is supposed to be. We just look at marriage as Shibikisha, but I don't think that's what God intended. And for me, that's kind of always been my goal, that I don't want a Shibikisha type of marriage. I want to really experience uh, what a joyful marriage is. And sometimes when you pray those prayers, you will go through stuff. <laughs> yeah, some prayers are dangerous to pray. <laughs> You won't go through stuff to to make you get to a point where you actually appreciate and feel that joy. And I think when I really think about it and I'm being honest to myself, there are times when I feel, you know what, I wouldn't give anything for the challenges that I've gone through if that was what I need to go through to reach this point where I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I'm living my best life. In spite of the yes. challenges. So yes. you, you still experience the joy in spite yes. of the challenges and despite the challenges. As yes. opposed to the perfect picture productions that were sold to all of us that marriage is just smooth sailing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, roses and boxes of chocolates yes, and yeah. all that. And then, you know. Yeah. And, and even like if we have a disagreement and we know this, this, this one is going to be a difficult conversation. You know right from the start that the aim of this conversation is to bring us back into alignment and bring us back into that space of joy. It's not to show that you are right or wrong. It's not to show that, you know, whatever it is. But how do we, we've got, we've feared of course a little bit. How do we come back to this point? And it makes arguments easier. <laughs> Self-regulation, yes. right, in the conversation. Yes, so. it makes argument because you 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 have the the end in mind. What do I want to achieve with this conversation? I don't. Want, I'm not fighting or arguing about this because I want to win. Yeah. I need to listen from the other side, and the other side needs to listen to me, and then we need to come to an agreement. And then we need to move on joyfully after that. Right. Yeah. So, what parts of um, your challenges, partly, and um, the book um, Love Must Be Tough helped you uh, become more open about the challenges of marriage? Because when you started off, you, you spoke about how culturally it's something that we are not comfortable sharing, like marriage issues, or keep that in the bedroom, sort your issues out there, and always present a united front and all that, and yet people are really held back. Yeah, I I think one of the things, um, 
for me is and I'm not so sure if I read it in that book okay. or somewhere else but anyway yeah. the whole idea that um, actually maybe it's actually physics energy cannot be destroyed it can only be transformed right. from one form to the other right yeah. and some other people put it this way they say you cannot solve a problem under the same circumstances that created that problem. Hmm. Okay? So though taking those two concepts and the various things that are in, in, in love must be must be tough is how do I introduce or how do we introduce new energy okay. in this relationship to help us overcome these challenges we are facing. And for me, that new energy uh, talking to other people who walked this journey before, okay. reading especially. Um, and you should come and see our library <laughs> Reading a lot and just not, uh, I don't know, maybe it might sound like I'm a bit stubborn, but yeah, sometimes I'll be stubborn. Not backing down. Not backing down from what? From the goal. Okay. Yes. Not backing down from the goal because at the end of the day, the goal is we need to come to alignment. And so, is doing anything and everything that you need to do that can help you come back to alignment. And sometimes it's, it's not easy. Sometimes it's tough. Mm. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm putting you in the erotic corner. <laughs> you know, I want to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know what? Let's go and see. Let's go and talk to other people. Let's, let's, let's hear. Like, maybe it's me, you know. And, um, again, I don't know whether it's because we're both very chilled people or I don't know what it is, but my husband is, is, is a rare species. Hundred percent. Very rare. <laughs> okay, according to me. He's a he's a rare specimen in that he he's very self reflective. And if really at some point he has the normal male ego and the normal male stubbornness, but really at at at, at the core of it he's able to say, you know what? I think I was wrong. Right. And it's also important to say with love, you know what? I think you're just being too sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> or, and some of the hardest advice like I've gotten from him is you need to toughen up. Yeah. Yeah, you just need to toughen up, my friend. Yeah. So, love must be tough. Yes. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's, so it's a combination of, of that humility I guess for both of us, but also that persistence to say, I will not let you continue to operate in this weakness, whatever that weakness may be, because I love you too much. So I will do whatever I need to do. Make sure you come out of this weakness. And he's done it for me, I have done it for him. And I think we've all come out better. If you talk to him, like when we, when we first married, John, I used to love crying. I think I would cry like him. 
<laughs> over mother wounds. Okay. Invaded commas. And, you know, through him toughening me up, I reached a point where I'm like, I don't care. It's not that I don't care, but it doesn't affect me anymore. So, yeah. you know, that, I think that, I, I didn't actually realize it until I'm now talking about it. Like, that love must be tough thing. Um, we don't appreciate it when, when we're going through it and when it's actually, when it's being dished out to you. It's not fun. It's not fun. But after some time, it begins to make sense. And I think for me, there are a lot of areas I could point out where my husband has been tough on me. Mm-hmm. That I think that if he wasn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am. Or even work-wise, you know, there are a lot of situations at work where I literally, not even literally, yes, actually, literally, I, I wanted to say I literally wanted to resign. The work situations where I literally resigned, and he was like, <laughs> I know a bit about that. You know, <laughs> Does that, you know? Yeah. And you come to the to the and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to be so compassionate, he's going to make me cry on his shoulders and just this is, this is what happens at work. <laughs> so you just have to be strong and blah, right. blah 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 So I think the love must be tough for both of us has really helped us to be better people really. So it's amazing that you've just described all of your marriage challenges in such a positive way mm-hmm. that it has epitomized what you talked about in terms of joy in spite of yes. the challenges that you yes. go through. Now, before I transition out of the marriage thing, I want you to go back to the partner check because I'm curious. <laughs> how does it work and how, how often and how long does the partner check work? I'm curious for two reasons. Yeah. I want to know how you use it. Mm-hmm. You guys use it in mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. two, I want to be ready for it just in case you push it out to Sarah. Defenses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll push it out to Sarah. Um, you know, I think, okay, this is maybe, it's kind of silly for me anyway. It's one of my silly things. I like to feel no. No? No. No. I want to know that the person I'm, I'm with knows me. Okay. Yes. And so for me, that's when the kind of the partner check comes in. Like, oh, let's see if he, let's see if he's been listening. And surprisingly, he's never failed it, not even once. Oh, we don't fail those. I can tell you why. <laughs> why? <laughs> no, I can't tell you why. You... <laughs> This this is a solid I'm doing for finals. I'm not gonna tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, because sometimes, um, I know that maybe it also comes from an expectation where you 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 hope that your husband will behave like a girlfriend. You know, that, you know, they listen and they chatter back at you when you're talking to them. That's what I mean. So, you're like, I'm, I'm chattering and I'm talking and I'm thinking, oh, this guy is not even paying attention. But anyway, I'll still talk. And then later on, I'm like, hmm, let me just check. Maybe I need to say that thing again. So before I say it, so, fishing. So, the, the, the recent 
partner. It wasn't. I wasn't even the one who partner checked, but it was like thrown back at me. Um, we are busy watching uh, YouTube videos, right? And there's this uh, farming family, and um, uh, in this farming family, they they've got a farm and. You know, they harvest their things and then they sell them in the farm shop and then they sell them in the cafe, they bake cakes and all those kinds of things. And then he just looks at me and says, this is exactly what you want. I'm like, oh, you've been listening. <laughs> That's amazing. And then he looks at me and says, of course I listen. What's wrong with you? <laughs> the, the partner check is, we get that 100%. Kudos, finals, you're representing us really well. Yeah, so it's, it's, I don't use it often, but I think for me it's just a personal thing where I want to, I want to feel known, and it's just <laughs> those small small things that you know just make me assured that okay, this dude gets me. Yeah. I'm not totally weird to him, but he gets me. And he understands me. Yeah. Moving in terms of um, from marriage challenges that are directly related to the relationship one of the biggest challenges in marriage i mean it's it's getting more talked about these days is child loss Mm -hmm. and i know you've lost a couple of people in your life that really mean a lot to you but there's nothing like losing a baby yeah and um i've obviously talked about it my own experience uh but i'm curious to find out from you uh what what it's like, uh, what it was like for you in that experience, and uh, also right after to have uh, the next child. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, what we call a rainbow child. I mean, for people who are familiar with it, is the child who's born right after you, like, lose a child. Uh, can you talk to me about that? Because it comes with a lot of mixed feelings. Um, like, uh, sometimes it's easy for people to think that well you have another one because mm. you lost that one and then you have one replaced so yeah, yeah. can you share a bit about that yeah so uh we had our three and we're like oh we're done 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 this is good and then the three started asking for a sibling mm. we want a sister we want a brother we want a baby and so you know um I think I'm one of those, I don't know whether I can say rare people, but maybe. I'm one of those rare people who uh, none of my pregnancies were really planned. Okay. None of them. Not even the firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> they came when they came. Mm. Okay. And so, you know, as far as we were concerned, we were done. Although, again, when I really think about it, when I met my husband and we were talking about how many children we want, I always wanted four children. He wanted two. And so us having three, I was like, okay, uh, this is fine, we are done. And then the children started asking for a sibling. And then God decided to give us one. Mm. And we were so excited. Like, oh, what? And told the kids about it. And then I wasn't even showing or anything at that time. Literally, like maybe two or three weeks after the kids, you know, mm-hmm. I miscarried. And there is nothing that I have gone through 
like the emptiness, it's literally a physical emptiness. You feel it. And I would sit and say, will this emptiness ever go away? And for me, I know baby is different for others. For me, like, after the miscarriage um, happened, I think the most supportive thing my husband said to me was, if you want another child, we can try. And initially I wanted one. I was like, yeah, yeah, we should try, we should try. Then six months later, I was like, ah, no, 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 it's okay. I think I'm okay. I'm done. And then, um, and I don't know, like sometimes, I don't know how God plans these things. The, I talked to my friends about it and in talking to them, you know, this same thing of secrecy, then I found out that some of them had actually had miscarriages and never shared and, you know, like... Can I just say, while you speak about that, that that's something I feel is holding back from helping a lot of people? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, I'm like, oh, so you went through this and sometimes you feel stupid? <laughs> like, like, whoa, okay, so people take this in their stride. And here I am, like, you know, telling all my friends and kind of being weak, for lack of a better word. But I felt like I needed to do that. And, uh, you know, and kind of just go, oh, you know, that feeling, and it's common, but no, don't worry, it will go away and things like that. I'm like, okay. So, you know, six, seven, eight, seven months, eight months later, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm back to myself again. And... For me, what the other thing that really amazed me in that process was we sometimes don't give enough credit to our children and how much they know. My kids wrote me notes and we named them. We didn't know whether it was a girl or boy, but we named the baby Lucy. And there was a big teddy bear in the house that was Lucy. Mm. After now, that teddy bear is too. And my kids wrote me notes and says, we want you to know that it's not your fault uh, about Lucy. She's in a better place. We love you. What, 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 what. And I couldn't believe it. Like, wow, this, these kids get, get this. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'd have conversations. And especially Rory would look at me and say, not that topic again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or you said, mm, I know where this is going, you know. So, I mean, we, we, we got to a point of where we kind of, um, healed to some extent. Uh, one of the things I did for me as, uh, a, commemoration or a remembrance. I had my wedding band. It was getting small anyway, but I had it remodeled. And what I did with the remodeling of the wedding bands is I put five stones, um, one stone each for the children on the band. And, you know, so it's, it's, you, it's, it's never having held the child or seeing what the child was going to look like is for me doesn't mean that they didn't exist, mm. but you need, I, I feel like I need to remember this child and my, I still have, now I'm a bit fat so I can't wear it. <laughs> but when I look
with a shower. You can put it as a necklace. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. And as God may have it, again, I reached a point where I reached closure and said, okay, I am now almost 40. I should not even be having babies. That child was due on the 15th of July 2020. Is it 2020? When was this about? 2020. Oh, this was born 2020. Yeah. He's two, right? Yes, he's two. So that child was due on the 15th of... I can't remember. But what I remember was the 15th of July. I forget the years. And on the 15th of July, that same day when that other child was due, is the day I found out I was pregnant with Lisa. I was like, how, 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 <laughs> how did this even happen? And um, I think when you come from a miscarriage and then you have this pregnancy, I've always had easy pregnancies, very easy. Not even morning sickness. Mm. That easy. I think I it would eat anything I wanted. And so when Diza came along, you know, the first few, there was always that fear, like, is it going to happen again? I couldn't tell the kids. I went to the hospital, I think the first visit I went, I was told you have some clotting issues happening, and, you know, there's just that fear and things like that, that, that grips you. And, you know, the whole, the whole pregnancy was like, you want to hold on, but you don't want to hold mm-hmm. on too tightly. Yeah, you're always treading the line, like, you yes. don't want to be, you know, like, like, yes. I, I, I want you, but my heart <laughs> is reacting slow kind of thing, yes. you know? <laughs> and one of them, one of the visits to the guy after they did the test, and she, she says, you need to take it easy. Um, I don't want you to be... I don't, I don't think she's the word too excited. But what she did say, which I remember very well, is I don't want to hear that you went and bought these expensive prams and these expensive beds and you have a situation here. You see? So I'm carrying this pregnancy and I'm thinking, I can't even go out and buy a pram or a baby cold because I have a situation. And literally, you know, up up until the child was born and I had them in my hands, it was like that thin line. And uh, Diza just became that that child who who I guess we didn't know we needed. Mm. And maybe for me, it's like, you know, my sister sometimes likes to tease me to say, you will behave as if you are God's last born because everything you pray for, he gives you. <laughs> so, um, I, like I mentioned, I always wanted four kids. Yeah. Very uncommon. Because everybody wants two or one. Mm. But I, always wanted, I wanted five. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always wanted four kids. So it's like, oh, this is my fourth. Now I'm content. And then some workmate of mine comes with a study. I need to pull it out and cut it correctly one of these days, which shows that women with four kids are the happiest women. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah. So here's this child, and you know, with the situations that happen, and he just brought this different like energy in the house. You know, everybody's so happy to have him around, and he just such a bubbly character and you know looking at him you just see you know this is the grace of God working through and through and through I didn't deserve it there's nothing special I did but here it is I think on the flip side I think on on, on not talking about child loss um, up to now I think it's one of those situations where I'm not so sure, even up to this stage, how well Finos dealt with it for his self. I am not even so sure if he told his family. I need to ask him. <laughs> because it was... It's like later, he would say... Like in a sentence or two, you know, that, that miscarriage really affected me. I felt like it was my fault. But like, how can it be your fault? How? But somehow, whatever happened in, in that context, he felt like he could have done there's something he did or something he didn't do that led to the miscarriage. And I don't think, I really don't think that um, men get the support they need yep. to deal with those issues. And they aren't, they aren't even enough people who I know of who I can point him to to say, go and talk to that person. They will understand. <laughs> it's just between the two of us. You should talk to me. Ah, okay. I'll send him over. Talk to me. <laughs> I'll send him over. I, I, I went through the same thing because especially when you have the rainbow child, mm. right after the, you lose, the, well, at least we saw him. Mm. We buried a body. Yeah. Um, so you, you think it should be easier, but it's not. But for me, the next thing is we have another child and we traded the line the whole period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know whether it's going to come through or another yes. thing, but I'd never dealt with it. And maybe uh, that's, this is why I wanted you to speak about it because a lot of people think that's a replacement child. Like, mm-hmm. okay, these are two different, two individuals, different individuals. And we're still for us, for me, we saw him. But really getting back to how men deal with it, like there's no support system entirely. And then the pain, I mean, it's, it's unbearable. Like, And then everyone is telling you, be strong, or a man. Yeah, so yeah. I get him. Yeah, I get him yeah. 100%. And it lives with you for life. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing at least that helped, that, that has helped me is like just accepting that it won't leave me. Mm-hmm. I will go to the grave mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. And just learning to deal with it. I mean, different ways to deal with it. But uh, talking about it is really part of the process. Yeah. yeah. And it has nothing to do with what he did. But it's just that he didn't have the support. And yeah. during that time, you just always feel like you have to support your. And yes. he's, he yes. was there for you yeah. in so many ways. And then before you know it, he has, you are expecting these, yeah, yeah, so, so I, I get him hundred yeah. percent completely. Yeah, it's 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 a very <laughs> it's a very interesting uh, uh, journey. The loss of a child. Yeah, it is. But it is. Uh, when the other one 
bounces back and you have another one, then you like have no time to, to really, yeah, Yeah, true. you know, and when you speak about really being open about this, um, it, it, it really ties into, uh, the whole challenge we have in, in the world right now in terms of mental health, because a lot of the things that we go through or the challenges that we go through, we keep them. And mm-hmm. for, for some people, it's normalized. Like, okay, if you go through something like this, if you go through marriage challenges and all that, well, just shut it off, shut mm-hmm. it off. You know what I mean? But what is really, what you're really shutting down is sort of building up something, something else somewhere. that's going to explode. And, uh, and leading into a mental health discussion, I wanted a couple of years ago, um, I was at the memorial of your mom and dad, I think. And um, I think from the time that I've known you, you've spoken a lot about your mom and the impact that she had on you. Uh, is someone who made an impression on your life. Um, and as we open up the discussion in terms of the conversation into um, mental health, tell me about uh, how losing your mom and uh, really impacted the view you have on mental health and uh, challenges? Yeah. Uh, actually, losing my mom was hard. It was a very hard um, experience that we, we went through as a family. And death is never easy. But I think death to suicide is very difficult to deal with. <clears throat> the person is gone. They can't answer your questions. Uh, you don't know why. Uh, but then, like, for me, it was, I think my mother's life and, and, and the fact that she died by suicide was something that colored my life. I think now it's it's better. Now I am better. I'm stronger. But every time I would go through a challenge, and I would like always find myself asking myself, like, okay, is this how she was feeling on the last day of her life? Is this what is, was she feeling like this to be drawn to the to the brink? You know, that question was always with me. And I, and I had to reach a point where um, I needed to separate because I felt like how I live my life was tied to that decision in hands. And I reached a point where I had to separate. And I remember one time you told me, Mandy, you keep on looking in the rear view. Why don't you look ahead? Mm-hmm. Remember we had that conversation yeah, one yeah. time. And it took, it's been a process of me looking ahead. And it's been difficult for me personally because I'm so much of my mother's daughter. Mm. In the things I like, in my being busy with so many entrepreneurial things, she was like that. And I know that's, that's just, I, I get bored living any other way, you know. But being so much like that, it's like, okay, what, what else about her is in me. You see what I mean? And so, um, I think for me, I guess, 
from a very early age, like after she died, I kind of just got interested in mental health and I wanted to be a psychologist. And just to understand people's minds, like what do people go through? What, what goes on in their heads when they reach a point where they feel like, you know, taking my life is, is the solution? And uh, the sense, firstly, in, in the initial stages, at least for me, that, like, that, that sense of, you know, you've left your children, weren't we important enough and whatnot, and kind of blaming the victim. Uh, but going into mental health and just understanding all the reading I've done and listening to people's stories is if the person was able, if they had the strength or the support or whatever it is they needed to make a different choice, they would have made a different choice. It's, just, it's like this thing we talked about, about energy uh, earlier on. It was, whether it was the environment, the circumstances, they couldn't or they can't find a source of different energy to counter whatever is happening in their mental health, such that the only energy that they have is the energy to want to end it all. And so for me, um, it's, and that's I think one of the things that has really impacted me being open about a lot of things. And sometimes people don't understand, uh, like going against the grain, like, you know, this situation I will not deal with, and you will not force me under any circumstance to accept and deal with this situation. It either has to stop or we need to make different decisions. And so that's, that's kind of how I don't bottle up things. Okay. I don't, um, and even sometimes my husband said, I'm telling him about situations at work, and then he's saying, I'm watching for you. One day you come and tell me. <laughs> and then one day I just come and tell him I had a difficult conversation with my boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's it's really so for me, like being open about certain things and talking about them is literally a shift in the energy, shifting the into another form. Yeah. Not to let that thing sit with me. Mm-hmm. Because if it sits with me, I don't know what it's going to convert into. What also, whether it's going to be heat or kinetic or whatever other form of energy. <laughs> so it's talking and reaching out for me is a way of converting um, that energy into something productive and getting different sort of energy into my life so that I don't find myself in a situation where I feel like, you know, taking my own life is a solution. Mm. And I've reached a point where I am very comfortable saying that no matter what happens to me, no matter what challenges, I will find a way. And I know like the, the, the generation I'm growing up in, oh, I don't know if I can even say growing up in, so the generation <laughs> I'm living in is a lot easier on, on this. I mean, it's a lot easier to get support for this kind of conversation than it was for my mother. Okay. And uh, I've reached a point where I can look at her life 
with compassion and say, if I can make a difference for another person's life or if I can live my life in such a way that no one in my circle feels like they have to, to end their life that way, then I will give myself to that purpose. So mental health is very important to me and giving people space to talk about their problems, giving people space to uh, space or opportunities to leave toxic situations or toxic relationships. Um, if 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 that move is the one thing that will make sure that this person remains alive, then that's what needs to be done. And sometimes those are not conversations that we, we want to talk about. Uh, there's some situations where there's literally violence in the home and people just say, oh, can't even fear and all that until the person is dead. Either dead by their partner or dead because they killed themselves. Because I couldn't contain that. The, the energy of that violence was a bit too much. And so we need to put, I feel like we need to excuse me, put a premium on people's lives and value them above anything, whether that's a job, it's a relationship, it's a business, it's Sometimes we want people to persevere in the wrong things. Yeah. There is there is value in giving up. Um, as long as what you're giving up is not your life. So there are certain things that we need to reach a point to say, I will not pursue this job anymore, or this relationship anymore, or this line of thinking anymore, because it's draining the life out of And find something. Wow, what a great conversation. Mandy is such a great storyteller and I allowed the conversation to take us everywhere which um, gave me an opportunity to get a great level of insight from her. Look out for the next part of the conversation in the next episode in a couple of weeks. Well, that does it for this episode of the Pretender Podcast. Please continue to send in your feedback on the contact provided in the episode notes. And remember to rate and review my show. And if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure you bookmark it on Apple Podcasts, AfriPods, or wherever you're catching the podcast from. And you'll get notifications every time I post an episode. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Inaendeshwa na Afripods.